It is Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is on your mind. 603-283-6160, that's the number if you want to weigh in. Again, 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And Bonnie. And coming up, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff that we didn't actually get into yesterday, like uh, the Department of Justice looking into... Having a domestic terrorism task force or something. I don't even remember the specifics now, but they're doing something like 2,700 investigations throughout the United States. Meanwhile, uh, Mm -hmm. one of the military organizations, I don't even remember which one, probably multiple of them are doing drills in, I think, North Carolina. I have to find all of those stories again because I had them up yesterday and don't have them now. But all kinds of weird things happening. They're testing out... War games against, quote, freedom fighters. Oh, my yes. goodness. Yep, man, that's right. I don't even know what's in the news today. I literally just woke up from a nap after we've been up, up since 6.30 this morning. That's right. Uh, you had the decriminalization of psilocybin hearing this morning, right? We did, yeah. Uh, where New Hampshire, if this were to pass, would be the first state to pass uh, psilocybin decriminalization through the legislative process. So uh, Oregon has it for therapeutic and, of course, they also uh, decriminalized all drugs there. Through the last, ballot initiative. Through ballot though. initiatives. So it's not been done yet through actually having the legislature pass something. So um, how did the hearing go? Well, Bonnie, it was your first hearing. What was your assessment of the uh, criminal justice committee that we sat in front of? They asked a lot of questions, and I didn't feel like they were asking questions just to be obtuse or say this okay. could never happen. At least... Only one of them was being that way, and he only spoke up one time. I feel like he maybe even felt outnumbered or something. Was this one of the state reps or just someone yeah. who was there? Oh, yes, was the state the, reps. Sorry. Was this that annoying old dude? Yes. Oh, of course it was. Only the state reps can <laughs> ask questions during uh, public testimony. Okay. So for listeners that aren't familiar, in New Hampshire, every bill gets a public hearing. There's 800 plus pieces of legislation every year. There's, I think, 20 something Uh, what they call committees. Each committee's got around 20 or so uh, people on it, and uh, they have to hear every single piece of legislation. So no matter how obscure, only if there's only one sponsor for the legislation, and this one had had multiple sponsors. This is a bipartisan uh, piece of legislation with both Republicans and Democrats behind it. And, you know, I think it seems more obvious that they're on the wrong side of history if they don't support this thing. I mean, just because we didn't have an overwhelming room packed full of people like you would on a marijuana bill. So right. it definitely hasn't gotten, you know, the, the the level of just general kind of support that you would expect from, say, a marijuana uh, decrim or a or marijuana legalization bill would. When it does essentially the same thing as the marijuana decrim did back in 2017, which is to say it would make up to a certain amount of mushrooms, in this case 12 grams, I believe is the, the number, essentially a, a non-criminal act where if nice. you got caught with it, they could take it and issue you okay, a $100 fine. But if you look at the statistics of what the police – I just checked Keene. I didn't look at any other police department. We live in Keene, New Hampshire. I just checked Keene. Uh, I asked them for the two years of statistics of marijuana arrests prior to marijuana decriminalization. So for 2015 and 2016, the full, you know, the two full years. And I asked for the two full years after, so 2018 and 2019. And I just wanted to know, what do the numbers look like? 
How many people were... T- I, well, I asked specifically for ticketing or arrests after the fact, because you couldn't right. ticket prior to that. And you and can't then, arrest after the fact, right? Only if it's like your third... Uh, or no, if it's your fourth violation within three years, then they can arrest you okay. uh, in that case. Or if it's over the amount, right? So if it was a uh, felony level amount or a misdemeanor amount, there's like three quarters of an ounce. If you're above that, then they can arrest you. Okay. It literally went from like 76 arrests per year down to two. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's impressive. Yeah. So they're basically not, and those were probably, I didn't know what kind of arrests those were, but those were probably dealing related uh, things. So it's, it okay. basically went to nothing. I can't imagine there are too many psilocybin arrests. In Far fewer, King. I would guess. Yeah. And um, the cop that gave a testimony today, obviously, in, cop. in opposition of the bill to decriminal, well, decriminalize. Um, but only one of them. Like, you know, there there could have been a whole phalanx of police there, and it was just one dude from the drug task force at the state police. Yeah, but he had to admit that they don't arrest people that often for this anyway. Yeah, and, and he basically trotted out the, oh my God, more people are going to use it, and danger! Our uh, kids objections. are going to use it. He said, my kids have already reported to me that... There's already psilocybin mushrooms in the schools, which right. is very disturbing to me. I was like, snitches. Which admits the failure of drug prohibition, right? You've yeah. Got drugs really in the point. schools, right? That was what the state rep responded, I think, when you emailed him, Bonnie. said mm. something like, well, propose to me how we're going to keep kids from doing this. And no, what? he said, propose to me how we're going to keep kids from smoking marijuana, which makes no Completely sense. Completely off That's topic. Right. Has off nothing topic? to do with anything. But even the same argument, like, convince me how we're going to keep kids from doing this. I don't have to keep your kids from doing this. Your if you job, don't want Dad. your kids doing it, yeah, that is your job. And unfortunately, he didn't ask that today. If he would have asked me that today, that's exactly what I would have said. I would have said, do your kids drink alcohol? I mean, I don't have kids, but if I had kids, they wouldn't be drinking alcohol and it's legal. Um, I well, don't know. And you know, speaking of alcohol. responsibility. I did bring that up in my um, testimony where I pointed out that uh, Professor David Nutt, who is the former, essentially the former drug czar of uh, the UK, came out a decade ago after he was canned uh, from his job. He came out with, and he came out in favor of ending the war on drugs, which yeah. was interesting. Wish he would have done it while he was Why did job. he get fired? Because I read that today, too. I don't remember that. That's a good question. Okay. Um, but He was the one who ranked the danger correct. to the individual and the danger to society of all manner of different substances, from alcohol to shrooms to right, and alcohol marijuana. was almost. I think actually, actually, there was. I think at the top of that list, it was alcohol and then heroin, uh, and then at, and then like cannabis was like in the middle of the list, and at the bottom of the list, the very bottom was mushrooms. And so I pointed that I pointed that out that this is considered less dangerous to society and the individual than even cannabis, which you guys already decriminalized. So it's safer. It's therapeutic. The guy who brought up the bill, uh, the, the representative who, who sponsored the bill, the one who created it, he told the committee he was going to give them all the studies. So they got a lot to look at, right? That There's nice. a lot of information coming in. So I just reiterated, there's a lot of studies. The studies are growing. They're doing them on larger numbers of people. The FDA has approved these things. So it's safe. It's therapeutic. Uh, and it's already basically, I said, you guys just need to catch up with the New Hampshire Supreme Court. Because there was a, an incredibly important court, uh, court case that happened a year ago in December of 2020. This was the one about using um, psychedelics for religious purposes, if Correct. I remember correctly? Yeah. So I said, you guys just need to catch up with the Supreme Court at this point because, I mean, as long as it's for spiritual or for religious uh, purposes, it's legal. 
to use psychedelic mushrooms in New Hampshire, according to a four to zero decision, a unanimous decision by the New Hampshire Supreme Court. I mean, you want a, a reliable court decision. No dissenters. These people said not only does New Hampshire protect your right to religion as as far as the Constitution of New Hampshire, you know, we got that just like the yeah. U.S. Constitution does. But well, New Hampshire's also, is a little stronger a than the U.S. Stronger. Constitution. And the reason why it's stronger is because New Hampshire's Constitution protects, and that's what backed up these this decision, it protects your right to worship in the way that you choose, which is much stronger language and very clear. Oh, yeah. So the U.S. Constitution, oh, yeah, you can have whatever religion you want. But the Constitution but can you of New practice Hampshire, that religion? Right, right. The Constitution of New Hampshire says you can practice it as long as you don't disturb other people's peace. And the Boom. state rep, after I mean, I don't know which state rep, I can't remember. A state rep asked Ian after he made that point about the New Hampshire Constitution. He asked Ian, well, what about people who want to use it for non-religious purposes? This was the same state rep, by the way, about that. It was? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Define non-religious purpose. You know, go exactly. to a party, uh, some, some why is that, so why is that religious experience? experience? Some people believe that the entire universe is, True. you know, God. I guess if you're taking it for the religious purpose at a party, then... Well, maybe the kid didn't realize that he was about to have a religious experiment. That's, experience, that's true. Right? He's like, yeah. I'm just going to go to this party at Eastern Troops. Next thing you know, he's meeting God face-to-face or whatever. Yeah. So what do you think about this bill passing? You think it's got good chances? I'm optimistic. I mean, the, the people in that hearing, wasn't just me and Bonnie. There were a few other people who spoke. It wasn't overwhelming numbers, but... The only guy who was against it was the cop. Makes me proud to be in New Hampshire. Coming up, we're going to talk about Jack Dorsey and his crypto defense fund, 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where your calls and thoughts are welcome. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to share your opinions. That's 603-283-6160. Coming up, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin. Bitcoin Islands, Jack Dorsey setting up a crypto defense fund. I believe you have that story, Bonnie. And if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say Bitcoin, head on over to Bitcoin.com. Click Getting Started at the top of the page. Take a few minutes out of your day to learn about this important world-changing information. But if you do already know about it, you can find all of the news and headlines that are relevant to you at news.bitcoin.com. That's their news site. That's bitcoin.com. There was actually some interesting Bitcoin bills uh, today. I had heard that, but I was I was skeptical because I was like, I, I feel like I would have known about that. But well, they were not. sponsored by Keith Ammon, which is a pretty good Liberty guy. He's a freestander. So what were the crypto bills? Well, I actually ran into we ran into Keith in the hallway because that's a thing that you can do in New Hampshire. Is you just you know if you go to the state house, you talk to reps. I mean, unless you really don't want to, (laughs) like you have to try to avoid them. Essentially, if you don't want to talk to a state rep, because well, that's where they work. Yeah, they're everywhere and they're approachable. If you want to talk to one of them, you can just walk up and introduce yourself. If they don't already know you, if they already know you, they're probably going to walk up and say hello. (laughs) So uh, we ran into Mike Sylvia, the founder or the the creator of the New Hampshire Independent. Uh, legislation. He was there. Nice. Uh, he was actually introducing multiple pieces of legislation to reform civil asset forfeiture today. So there were some really good bills uh, that were being heard, but the ones that Keith put in, and actually Bonnie uh, and I disagree on on these bills, but uh, he was putting in legislation to, as he put it, catch us up with Wyoming. 
Uh, and in Wyoming back in 2018, they passed a whole package of different uh, pro-crypto legislation, basically. And one of the things that they uh, allowed in Wyoming was crypto companies to essentially become banks. Um, they have a s- certain wording for it. Like, is there's a different term? They call it like a special depository institution. And it is essentially a, a crypto-approved bank. And that's the legislation. They basically took, you know, car- carbon copied the legislation from Wyoming. Oh, nice. And they put it in here in New Hampshire. He says he d- he's not sure that all of them are going to pass. Uh, but another one he described... Um, Make that sure. sounds like it would be beneficial for the. I mean, considering that New Hampshire is a strong cryptocurrency community already, yeah, that would make it only stronger. Well, the idea is to attract cryptocurrency businesses here, and what he explained was, as much as we libertarians don't want to see more laws created, unfortunately, corporations want that. They want to have a mm. legal structure that says, "It's okay, you can do this here." And but so do that's, we want the corporations? Yeah, I just said... Well, they hire people. I didn't say I'm against this. I just said that just creeps me out to think of putting laws on the books for crypto. What does the government have any business regulating crypto at all? I'm with you, I'm with you on that. I don't think that they should. I don't want to see more laws created as a general rule. However, I understand the reasoning for it. Here's another example. One of the three bills that he was he put in today... Uh, Man, he's ex- a busy dude. Yeah, well, they've got a bunch of them. Uh, they, one of them was to exempt uh, exempt digital assets or cryptocurrency from securities laws in New Hampshire. Now they can't. Exempt- I thought they already were. Uh, if they were, then I don't think there'd be a need for this bill. But okay, um, this basically makes it clear: like cryptocurrency assets are not securities in the state of New Hampshire if this bill goes through. Uh, that wouldn't change the federal level, obviously. Not unless but, New Hampshire also secedes. Right. But at least it makes a statement that this is what New Hampshire's government thinks. And the other one uh, essentially treats digital currencies as property. It's, it makes it clear that these things are property instead of some other kind of legal category so that's yeah, like my that underst- one. so that's my understanding of the three bills that were were heard it was in the afternoon so we didn't actually attend those hearings we headed home after uh, after about one o'clock but uh, hopefully i'd it be went very well. interested in seeing how these bills do uh, what happens after a bill is heard like this what does the committee do good question um from my experience in the state house there's usually some delay between when the hearing happens and when the committee actually votes on the thing okay. so basically that's they unfortunate do them- well, not really. Uh, the reason why is they need time to think it, think about it. Really, I mean, unless unless you presume they've all made their mind up already and they don't care about what people say in the hearing, which I'm sure is true for some of them, but a lot of them, I think, honestly, are open minded and willing to listen. In my experience, they ask good questions. You know, people who are asking questions uh, are at least interested, right? They're interested right. in learning, and they're something. paying attention. They're not pretending to listen. Correct. So usually, what happens is they have the public hearings on a set of bills like on a day like today, and then they set a date for the day when they will have what's called the executive session on those bills. And at the executive session, they'll have whatever back and forth discussion between the reps. So at the executive session, you don't get to speak publicly, but you can still come and attend it. So okay. the public, public hearings, when they get the input from anybody who shows up, and then the executive session is where they discuss it, talk about potential amendments, vote on potential amendments, and vote whether or not to what, recommend the bill pass or recommend the bill be killed or called inexpedient to legislate. So that's going to happen probably at a later time, maybe next week, maybe a few, couple weeks from now. So I'm not sure when. 
So if they call for the bill to pass, mm-hmm. does that increase its chances of actually passing the whole state house? Or? Yes, it does. Okay. Um, what they will do generally is they'll put a bunch of bills onto what they call the consent calendar, as I understand it. And that way the house can vote on these, all of the bills all at once. Like they just put a bunch of bills that should pass on a, on what they call the consent calendar. I think they put bills that shouldn't pass on there as well. And then they vote all in one fell swoop and they just take care of, you know, 50 bills at one time or something like that, based on what the committees say. Any state rep, however, can speak up and say, I want that bill pulled off the consent calendar and have its own House floor discussion. So that's something that we want to see happen with the New Hampshire Independence Bill. If they try to put it on a consent calendar, whether they're recommending to kill it or or whatever, if, especially if they're rep. Maybe it only is if they're recommending to kill it. That I'm not sure of. I don't know if the consent calendar is only for killing bills or for uh, for both. So I'm not a 100. I'm not the best expert on answering sure. these questions. But so I suppose the idea is that the committee are full of the people who know this particular subject best, and if they say, well, "Hey, this is, in theory, that, yeah, right," obviously a lot none of, times of these people really. Ignorant. I didn't understand why they were assigned to specific committees. Like, it's, there's a I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's something I think that if they have the political sway, they can tell the like the person who's in charge of that, like the, whoever it's usually the the committee is sorry, the committees are assigned by the like the Speaker of the House. So whichever party is running things, whoever's in the majority. So right now it's the Republicans. So the Republicans get to make the assignments to the committees. But it, so it it's can't political be, to some extent. It just I d- can't believe that it would be based off who is the most qualified to be in each committee no, you were you're in the uh criminal justice wednesday and they all had very easy to answer questions for like the cops you do you get to keep the civil aff- asset forfeiture money so they're obviously you Things know they not, should have known yeah right? they would, would have known that if they were experts yeah so what was the answer to that did the police departments get to keep it as it is yes 45 yeah. percent of it and the other 45% goes to the other police, which is the Attorney General's office. <laughs> well, hopefully that changes as a result of these bills. I think you said Mike Sylvia introduced that. Yes. Yep. Yeah, multiple uh, civil asset forfeiture bills today. Doing great work up there. 603-283-6160 if you want to join us. Well, you know what you think about decriminalizing psilocybin cubensis or rolling back civil asset forfeiture. We're going to talk about Jack Dorsey and his crypto defense fund. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com. Free Talk Live, where you're invited to weigh in with your thoughts and opinions. 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. That's 603-283-6160. With you tonight is Aria, Bonnie, and Ian. And Bonnie, you have the story about Jack Dorsey trying to set up a crypto defense fund. Now, Jack Dorsey was the CEO of Twitter. I think he stepped down. He did, yeah. Yeah, very recently. 
And he's, I think he's a Bitcoin maximalist, if I remember correctly, but he's I at, think so. He's it at seems least, like it. it. He promotes Bitcoin. And, he does. And yeah. Litecoin, though. So. And he runs the Square Corporation still. He's still the CEO over at Square, which is a payments company, kind of like PayPal. They uh, made Cash App. Correct. And Cash App added Bitcoin purchasing I don't know, three years ago, four years ago, something like that. So it did a lot to expose the new people to Bitcoin who'd never had easy access to it before. And, and Cash App did it well. Them. Yeah, they did. Where they will actually allow you to buy Bitcoin and then transfer it off of your Cash App. You have to into go through a know your customer wallet. process for that, but that's sure. to be expected from a centralized corporation. But they didn't take the PayPal approach, which is, well, is this even Bitcoin? Because you don't have a way to prove it is or isn't, and you can't do anything with it. Right, you can. So, PayPal's keeping it in their system and not letting you remove it from their system. So yeah, and no at idea. the moment you can't even use it to buy from other PayPal sellers. If I remember I think correctly, you can. you can. I think you can do that, but you can't. The, the seller cannot take the uh, Bitcoin out of their account. Yeah, all they can do is sell it back to PayPal. So there's right. literally no evidence that there's any Bitcoin in PayPal. And they don't have any plans for changing that or anything. I think they said, you know, it's something they're looking into mm-hmm. but they haven't said yes we're going to add this by the end of the year or anything like that mm. so i wouldn't expect them to change it yeah he's a lightning advocate jack dorsey uh, yeah. from bitcoin what i understand maximalist he's a then. maximalist yeah bitcoin lightning for listeners that don't know is this super complex system that the bitcoin programmers are building on top of bitcoin uh to try to make it more scalable but ultimately, all it does is really centralizes uh, Bitcoin, and 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 that's a bad thing for those of us that understand. It also confuses people. Oh yeah, um, but for those that understand the sort of the nature of what Bitcoin was supposed to be, which is decentralized, adding centralization to that system is a bit of a turnoff. So I'm not a fan of uh, the Lightning Network, and that's just me from having heard about it. I honestly, I've never actually tried it. And luckily, there's just so many other options. You don't have to choose oh no they're making bitcoin centralized you can just use bitcoin cash or dash or many others monero i've used the lightning network and it's it's a thing it it does what lightning network advocates say it's going to do does it because i've heard it fails a lot i never had it fail but it was tremendously what was the amount you sent oh it was something negligible like 0.01 0.01 Bitcoin, which at the time would have been, I don't know, 30 or 40 bucks. The smaller the amount, the more likely it is to to succeed as of the you know statistics I've heard about. The more likely it is to succeed as yes. it gets smaller? That's Correct. scary. That's bizarre. So it's more likely to fail as it gets larger. I also had to permanently or at least semi-permanently lock in some amount of Bitcoin as collateral in order That's to... That's the it, part that really It is got so off. confusing. Yeah. Absolutely useless. I just don't understand why they would want to make it more confusing. Because they don't think it's confusing. To to them, it's this thing that solves the problems that Bitcoin has, and they don't even understand Mm. at this point because they've been doing it for so long. Or, more likely, they've never actually used it to try to make a payment anywhere. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are computer geeks who cannot relate to the average person. And they, they don't spend their crypto anyway. Well, there's that. But the average person getting into Bitcoin is a already a confusing process. It's already, sure. you know, you got to learn some new stuff. And some people, they're not so good at learning new things, especially when it comes to technology. No, I think the average person can wrap their mi- minds around the Exodus wallet or the Edge wallet or Konami mm-hmm. or whatever. But when they have to move that to this other thing and 
establish a connection to this node, but that node can't communicate with this node. That's way beyond the the capabilities of the average person. I remember when Ian was in jail, for some reason I just wanted to learn about it because I heard about it and I was wondering, oh, my friends complain about, like, I always hear nobody complaining about uh, Bitcoin being not scalable and slow and expensive. Why have don't any of my friends ever talk about the Lightning Network? So I was like, I'm going to learn about it. I have nothing else to do because my boyfriend's in jail. And it was just so complicated, I just gave up. Yeah, it's not user friendly. The only guy who ever talks about it is Chris Reitman. He is co-founder of the Bitcoin Embassy here in town. I think he gave up talking about it. He never talked about it. He couldn't convince anyone. He got me to use the Lightning Network. I don't remember. I don't even remember now what website it was. But you could the pizza site, right? Yeah, you could buy pizza with Bitcoin by using the Lightning Network. I was like, all right, cool. I'll check it out. But it was so limited, like barely customizable. Yeah. Yeah. It was like you had to get this one specific deal. You couldn't tip more than this amount, <laughs> hmm. and you could only get two toppings for a pizza. And it was like, what? Or you can just now go that's to- not the Lightning Network's fault. That's just whoever programmed that website. Yes. It was a proof of concept at that time. It was a pizza store in Keene. Yeah, that was using was Don- the Lightning Network. Actually, oh wow, that's crazy. Well, but it, it was, was just, it was a front end. Yeah, it, it was an interface that someone made that hmm. would place the order for you oh, using okay. the Domino's website. So hmm. it wasn't like. Domino's was accepting Lightning Network. Yeah, you were paying them, and then they were paying Domino's, and you know. And then it turned out that the mechanism behind it was just them using gift cards in order to complete the payment at Mm -hmm. Domino's. Which sure, okay, but at that point, why wouldn't I just go to giftcard.bitcoin.com? The point was to use my own gift card. Yeah, well, the point was to use the Lightning Network. Yes, the point of it. But there were make it more complicated. Yeah, add steps. There were easier ways I could have done this, more effective ways where I could have actually gotten what I wanted, and handled the actual transaction myself. Isn't it Dash that also has where you can buy uh, gift cards with Dash? Yeah, and I really wish I could try it out. Um, Yeah, because they're doing like some sort of you get discounts or something for buying the gift cards. Yeah, I I just always forget about it. I am, you know, as you are, Aria, prohibited under some ridiculous bail conditions in the Crypto 6 case where the government raided our studio last year, uh, prohibited from using crypto. So I cannot install the Dash Direct app on my smartphone and actually use it uh, where they essentially have created some sort of a front end to make it easy to purchase gift cards with the Dash cryptocurrency and you apparently you do it at the point of sale. And f- I was listening to Free State Live, which is the Monday night show competes with us uh, that the, some of the free staters are doing here in New Hampshire. They now. really call themselves Free State Live. Yeah, it okay. actually came to me. They and said, said it as a joke at first, and then they tagged Ian. Right? No, 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 they didn't say it on there first. They actually no, came, they on not on air. They joked about it on Twitter. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, what I knew was they came to me and asked me, "Hey, is it cool if we use the name Free State Live?" And I said, "Yeah, of course, totally. Yeah, cool. that's awesome. Do <laughs> <Don't> it." <care. Yeah. laughs> Um, and so they did that. No, we're going to sue you for violating our intellectual <laughs> yeah. property. Uh, I mean, it was nice of them to do that, but it, they didn't, it was have, nice of they them didn't have to. Um, but uh, they, they had Joel Valenzuela on the show this week, and he's always an interesting uh, interview because he lives his life on crypto. He has not touched a dollar in, I don't know, five years or Where something like that. Where does he like live? Uh, he lives on the seacoast. Sadly, he should have moved to Keene, but uh, he lives on this. He lives in the second best area for uh, for yeah, crypto spending. And so he he's a big Dash advocate. He does some work for Dash, so he gets paid uh, in Dash. So he loves to spend it. And uh, the Dash Direct app sounds very very interesting because it lets you choose from you know mega companies, right? Like big corporations. Um, I, don't, I forget which what the listing includes, but it's 
companies you've heard of sure. and uh, and then you at the register they give you the total that you're they want to get from you you type that into the app and then you pay the invoice with dash and you've got a essentially you've got a gift card he he, made, he makes it sound very very smooth i again haven't tried it don't know for sure what it's like but it's it's an interesting uh, theory and they're coming out with some sort of a kyc or without kyc free meaning without kyc debit card and i don't know wow. how that's going to work that sounds be interesting it though. sounds too they're good doing- to be true which means it could be too good to be true. Yeah. But Dash is doing interesting things, and I'm with yeah. you. I, I wish I could experiment and play with these things. Yeah. The oh, m- Most of my cryptocurrency usage for places like Walmart, stuff like that, was just buying gift cards, usually from, I think, Bitcoin.com was one right. of them, and there was another one that I used frequently. Oh, and the, the key is the Dash Direct actually gives you a discount. So not That's only right. are you getting a, a gift card, paying with a gift card sort of through the back end of this Dash Direct app, but you might save 3% or 4% or something like that. I wish I could play with it because yeah. it sounds fun. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. Have you ever bought a gift card with cryptocurrency or used the Lightning Network? Let us know. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves and talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. Again, the number is 603-283-6160. Bonnie, you have a story about Jack Dorsey. That's the former CEO of Twitter and current CEO of Square. What, what exactly is he doing? What is he doing? Well, from this, from Coin Telegraph says that Jack Dorsey announces a Bitcoin legal defense fund, and the fund will help to provide a defense for Bitcoin developers, and will include a team of volunteers and part-time lawyers. So maybe not people who are currently getting indicted by the federal government for Bitcoin-related. And this is only Bitcoin-related, so like he wouldn't help out Jeremy Hmm. Kaufman, who is the ceo of library i don't know sometimes i forget that the word bitcoin doesn't mean crypto so i kind of read that and my brain translated it to crypto so now i'm realizing it, it does say bitcoin developers so yeah, maybe it, it depends who you're talking to i mean to some people bitcoin is the kleenex of cryptocurrency meaning that people will sort of use the term bitcoin when they're talking about a variety of different cryptocurrencies sort of like in the, the south you might say coke but you mean something else i haven't encountered that yet with cryptocurrency i haven't had anyone to say hey i I want some bitcoin and then it or whatever and then it turns out they actually wanted you know dash or something that's true but some people will say bitcoin and they'll mean bitcoin cash or bitcoin sv or something like that because they'll say like are you you into bitcoin but they really mean all crypto yeah but i don't think people say i want some bitcoin no monero bitcoin yeah Yeah. but they will one day i'm sure I bet that that's true. But I think in this case, I think he really is just talking about Bitcoin because it goes on to say, former Twitter CEO and block founder Jack Dorsey has announced plans to create a Bitcoin legal defense fund with Chaincode Lab, sorry, Chaincode Lab's co-founder Alex Morcos and Martin White, who appears to be an academic from the University of Sussex. The announcement was sent on a mailing list for Bitcoin developers Bitcoin-dev at blah, 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 Wednesday morning from Are an Bitcoin email. developers, is being there any sued? history of them ever being in legal trouble? In this situation, 
I don't, I don't really know. And are they only going to be protected in regards to Bitcoin-related lawsuits, or are they just going to be protected in general because they're Bitcoin? So if somebody sues them for, I don't know, they've slipped and fell on a patch of ice at their house, are they going to? I mean, obviously, this isn't going to come into play, or I would think it wouldn't come into play there. But yeah, I agree with you, Arya. What is the use case? Here? Well, okay, it says here that there are people who are currently the subject of multi-front litigation. It says the announcement stated the fund will help provide a legal defense fund for Bitcoin developers who are currently the subject of multi-front litigation. I had never heard of this. But it doesn't give examples of who that might be. Litigation and continued threats are having their intended effect. Individual defendants have chosen to... capitulate in the absence of legal support Mm. the email stated referencing open source developers who are often independent and therefore susceptible to legal pressure quote we propose a coordinated and formalized response to help defend developers okay i don't know the only example of this i'm finding is going to be stuff related to craig wright who's suing Mm -hmm. a bunch of people in a bunch of different courts i mean he's probably the main threat to this Maybe that's what this is all about. Maybe this is, without saying it, targeted at defending people who have been attacked by Craig Wright, who can't afford it. Because hmm. your average Bitcoin developer might have been late to the game. They don't have a large uh, wallet of Bitcoin from which to pay very expensive attorney bills. So this, you know, it could be a killer if they, they get targeted by one of these frivolous lawsuits. Yeah, and Craig Wright, he has plenty of money. At the, if nothing yes, he else, does. he has plenty of money to throw at people in the court system. And he is litigious and likes to do that stuff. Correct. The announcement went on to describe the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund as a nonprofit entity that aims to minimize legal headaches and discourage software developers from actively developing Bitcoin and related projects. So he, it does sound like he's willing to include related projects, at mm. least, which doesn't just mean Bitcoin developers. Okay. Yeah, it could also mean Bitcoin cash developers. I doubt it. I but. suspect they'll be judicious about uh, who they dole this out to, but uh, I, it's, it seems still like a positive development. I think it is just Bitcoin, actually. I mean, I don't know why it says and related projects, because here it says the main purpose of this fund is to defend developers from lawsuits regarding their activities in the Bitcoin ecosystem, including finding and retaining defense counsel, developing litigation strategy and paying legal bills. Okay. Well, I mean, that's still a step in the in a good direction. Sure. It's mm-hmm. unfortunate that it's only helping Bitcoin people, but it's still a good thing. I think anyone who's working on Monero probably has a higher need of a legal system or a legal defense fund than the people working on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone working on Monero, with the exception of Fluffy Pony, who was the head of development for a time, or at least their, their biggest spokesperson, uh, he was targeted by, I think it was the fbi maybe it was interpol somebody came after him and brought him up on criminal charges for some bs in uh, they like traveling that. in africa but with the with the exception of him there hasn't been any real targeting of monero because no one knows who their developers are oh nice even the developers are anonymous that's yeah that's good news yeah okay good for them I don't know. Uh, I I, I generally support this. I don't know what else there really is to say about why, unless they give us some specific cases. Oh, I found one. That's what I was looking for in here. According to the email, the fund's first project will be to take over the existing defense of Ramona Ang's tulip trading lawsuit against developers for alleged misconduct over access to a Bitcoin fortune. So Ramona Ang, A-N-G. I've never heard of it. 
What something about tulips? You said. Um, it's in quotes. It's the nickname for the lawsuit is the tulip trading lawsuit. Interesting. I've certainly never heard of that, but that's not all surprising. There's a lot happening in the cryptocurrency uh, world and in the Bitcoin world. Okay. <laughs> Ramona Ang is the wife of Craig Wright. Dr. Craig uh, Wright. According to CoinGeek, which is, by the way, a pro- Wait, the Craig ex-wife? Uh, it just says the wife. I don't know if that if he's if she's an ex by now. Because but... remember her and- the ex-wife were working on something. It almost sounded like they were suing Craig Wright. And I was like, wait, the ex-wife and the current wife are mm. suing Craig Wright? How is that possible? Remember, yeah. that's when we talked about her before. Him this before. story here is from November of 2020. So it's certainly possible that she has become the ex-wife of Craig Wright in the last <laughs> year. I don't know. Uh, but at the, at the time when this was written, and this is just... For the record, this is coming from a website that is all about Craig Wright. This is a pro-Craig Wright <laughs> uh, propaganda site. It's called CoinGeek.com. All they ever write about is Bitcoin SV and Craig Wright, which is Craig Wright's pet uh, Bitcoin project. I did not know that about them. Yeah. But uh, I don't think I've ever even been to CoinGeek.com, so that's not terribly surprising. They say the uh, high court in the UK has found in favor of Ramona Ang, who's the wife of Craig Wright, in her case against Reliant Co. Investments Limited, the Cyprus-based owner of a trading platform called UFX, she was a customer of the exchange and had great success trading on it, turning an investment of $200,000 into about 700000 at which point the company blocked her account, initially without providing clarity as to why her account was blocked. She tried a number of arguments in order to justify its decision to ban the account and effectively seize hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of money from it. Reliant Co.'s argument was that Ong's account was actually being operated by Dr. Wright in contravention of their terms of service. They'd also argued that she had deliberately submitted incorrect information as part of their KYC process. But does that mean they get to keep your money? Like if you... I would assume not. <laughs> Finally, they uh, argued that the account was ultimately closed because the company had discovered that Ong was married to Dr. Wright, which they then claim is the inventor of Bitcoin, because again, it's a pro pro-right website right. Which, propaganda there's no evidence that he was actually the inventor of bitcoin so and that the gains she had made were indicate in, indicative of insider trading wow those are pretty ridiculous and and the court did reject all three arguments saying that ong is entitled to the money and also unrealized gains from that uh, from that time so maybe there's another case that this woman is involved with now because it wouldn't surprise me i well, bonnie said it was called the tulip trading case i've never heard of it there's and a link here. They didn't mention... They didn't mention tulips in here, that's for sure. They didn't. I've actually got something here from April of last year. Okay. So, Tulip Trust trustee Ramona Ang has sued Ira Kleiman. His, oh, this is the case we've uh, we've discussed. The, oh, that was... I thought that was Craig Wright suing Kleiman. It is. I was. I think it's the, the rights in general. They just I, like suing people. Yeah. And it doesn't really seem... To, I mean... They're delusional, and they have evidently almost infinite amounts of money to throw at this yeah. because they were ordered to pay some huge amount of money recently. Mm. And instead of being humbled by that, Craig Wright walks away going, yes, this was a victory. So yeah. they're litigious. They have too much money. And you know what they say? A fool and their money will soon be parted. He's doing everything he can to burn his money. Well, good for Jack Dorsey for coming up with some legal money for, for these folks who are getting targeted by frivolous lawsuits. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. What do you think about R- Craig Wright? He's obviously not Satoshi, but why is he so litigious? It's Free Talk Live. 
Is your broken heart stopping you from being authentically happy? My name is Jeremy West, and for a limited time, I am running a free online class to teach you what most people don't know about how to deal with your feelings, the simple way to deal with your negative thinking, the key to breaking your unhealthy relationship patterns, and so much more. No more feeling like a failure who will never find true love. No more self-medicating and ending up feeling even more miserable. And no more feeling like you'll never be someone who deserves an amazing partner. Sound good? You'll discover a new way to finally feel validated and loved. To stop trying to get your self-worth from the very people who tear it down. And to put you in control of your own happiness. So you never surrender that control to another person again in as little as eight weeks. Register now for my free online class at beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. That's beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, as always. You're invited to join us, 603-283-6160, if you would like to weigh in. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And Bonnie. And we're talking about Jack Dorsey here, who has set up a crypto defense fund. We speculated that it was largely about protecting people from Craig Wright. And as it turns out, one of the first lawsuits they intend to take on with this new Bitcoin defense fund is defending someone from Craig's Craig Wright's crazy wife. <laughs> so we were sort of right about that. Yeah. Because yeah. from what we can see, the only threat to Bitcoin developers that has happened is Craig Wright and his crazy <laughs> wife. To be fair, he's also crazy, but so is she. Yeah. So. Craig Wright is crazy, but that's sort of a given if for you've listeners ever that listened don't know, to He's us. the guy who claims to be the, – the guy that gets the most attention for claiming to be Satoshi Nakamoto. There have been more than one person that may have made that claim, but this guy gets a lot of attention because he will sue you if you don't agree with him. I tend to think, you know, if Satoshi Nakamoto is still alive, mm-hmm. there's a decent chance he's that guy in that Brazilian prison whose name mm-hmm. I don't even remember now. Yeah. That, that's the most compelling – story i've heard yet but chris wade agrees with that too he said that he looked more into it after that caller called about it and he said he's pretty pretty convinced now yeah i I wouldn't say i'm convinced but if if i had to make a bet on a living person who i was aware of being satoshi nakamoto that would be the person Mm -hmm. it would make so much sense that he was in jail yeah because otherwise you know it raises the question of why is satoshi never moved any of the bitcoin well Either Satoshi is dead or Satoshi's in jail or for whatever reason, Satoshi just has money and doesn't need to sell any of that Bitcoin. Who knows? Or Satoshi is God. Who has someone? Huh? He's God. He came into a human life form and he hasn't come back. I see. Because there's no reason to write. He did what he came here to do. So Jack Dorsey, in addition to setting up this crypto defense fund, he's also setting up a... Or he wants to set up yeah. a decentralized exchange. And one thing we didn't, neglected to mention was that he changed the name of Square to, to block. block. Recently. Which is pretty creative. Similar to how Facebook changed their name to Meta. Which isn't mm-hmm. creative. No, it's stupid. I actually have a, a follow-up about the Metaverse that I want to get into tonight. Uh, oh. Yeah, this um, 
this tech guy. I don't remember exactly who he is or what he's for. But oh, I had that story too. Okay, the one where somebody's he's attacking it, comparing the metaverse hype to propaganda he experienced in the Soviet Union as a <laughs> wow. child. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, let's talk about Jack Dorsey's decentralized exchange because I know we've had this story up I've had to talk few, about for quite weeks, a while. Yeah. Um, this is interesting because it's not really a decentralized exchange. And and hmm. let me explain this here because the website, by the way, for this thing, it's not working. The only thing oh, good. that's... that's a promising sign. Yeah, well, it doesn't exist yet. They basically, they have a white paper at this point. I mean, what what at what stage they are in actually developing this thing, I don't know, but it must be very early if they don't even have like a splash page with a sign up your email address here to learn more. You go to their website, tbdex.io, and there's literally a 404 error that comes wow. up. So there's, no, there's nothing there, but at slash like whitepaper.pdf or something, you can actually get the, the PDF. Uh, but the story from Cointelegraph.com, Jack Dorsey released a white paper. This was in November. Uh, detailing plans for Square, now Blocks, decentralized, quote-unquote, Bitcoin exchange, TBDEX. Unlike most decentralized... That seems so strange to me since they sort of function as a centralized Bitcoin exchange already. They do. So yeah. do they want to decentralize that aspect of their business? No. Um, let me get in. Let me get into this. Is here. it going to be unrelated to Q, I mean, uh, Block at all? Block, I guess, is going to be involved. I pulled up the white paper and I was looking at it uh, during the news break there, just to kind of try to you know get a little bit more detailed than what they go over in this. I'm curious, does it actually story. look like a uh, a white paper or does it look like a brochure, a sales pitch? No, it's a white paper. It's an 18 page, boring technical um, that's good because paper. when all of these scam coins were coming out back mm-hmm. in 2016 2017 there there were two types of white papers there was mm-hmm. the boring one that you would expect a white paper to be and then there was the one that was a that was clearly a sales brochure being disguised as a white paper so i'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that his is actually a white paper that is attempting to solve a problem rather than sell a product yeah this is a strange pitch because at one point it claims that this is a permissionless system, meaning that a permissionless generally means that you don't have to ask permission to join and to participate in the system. Right. But that seems to be, to only be for what they're calling the participating financial institutions. So these are entities that can offer liquidity services on the upcoming so-called decentralized networks. Like they banks? banks? That's not really clear. I mean, I presume that that would be included. It says PFIs will be identified via what are called, they keep using acronyms in here, DID, which I don't remember that one is, uh, and VCs, which stands for Verified Credentials. Uh, DID is a decentralized identifier. Again, I've not read the, the thing in full. but And I have one more question before yeah. you get into it. Why did they give it this name? Because I can't even remember what it is right now. It's TD what? TB Dex. TB Dex. It- what is that? It's such I'm a bad name. I'm going to guess name. it stands for the block decks, but I'm not, I don't know. I what don't is know what TB? it stands for. I'm guessing it stands for the block, but I, I have no idea. Tuberculosis decks. Um, but uh, anyway, to be, yeah. To be decentralized is in not decentralized, <laughs> yeah. but we, we plan to do it one day. P- PFIs can be, but are not limited to fintech companies. Fintech stands for financial tech, uh, technical. Uh, regional banks institutional banks large institutional banks or other financial institutions so just from that pers- just hearing that is a turnoff to me the fact that they're going to be involving institutions in yeah the a- ones that you know 
Bitcoin was created to destroy. Yeah, the ones that'll shut down your account if they find out that you're using uh, Bitcoin. Those ones. And it's only permissionless for them. So how could this be decentralized? I don't know. It's yeah. Someone's not. granting them permission to not need permission. So they're not going to use a trustless model, according to Cointelegraph.com, and therefore will not feature its own governance token. Instead, it is a message protocol designed to facilitate trust relationships without relying on a federation to control access. I don't really know what all that means, but... Well, if you have to trust something, then it's not going to be openly able for anybody to audit, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be open source. That's a good question, but it it won't. I don't want to have anything to do with, you know, bringing banks into the cryptocurrency space. Yeah, uh, I mean, just that alone is a reason enough to be turned off by this. But also, here's the real reason to be turned off. So the TBDEX also intends to include many features that make it far less decentralized than a standard decentralized exchange as we've come to know them. Like a standard decentralized exchange, you show up. It doesn't ask you who you are. You just have an anonymous wallet that you connect to it. Usually they're on the Ethereum network. That's most most of them are on, on the Ethereum, but there's now there's more of them out there. Cosmos has them, uh, Binance Smart Chain has them. So there are other alternatives out there. You show up with your anonymous wallet, it tells you connect the wallet, then you give it to, you know, whichever wallet you want to connect, MetaMask or, you know, hardware wallets is usually a variety of different options. You authorize it in your wallet. They still have no idea who you are. If you're coming in on a VPN, they don't know where you are. And then you're in. You're in the exchange. You can say, okay, I have Ethereum. I want to exchange it for this other Ethereum token over here, whatever that might be, Dogecoin, or I guess Dogecoin's not an Ethereum token, but there's probably somebody that made a Dogecoin Ethereum token. Uh, and then you, you do your exchanges. The exchange takes a fee from the, uh, you know, the transaction, and you go away. And then if you want to come back, you come back, and that's it. Sounds promising. All of the decentralized exchanges that I've ever used were just for Ethereum and Ethereum tokens. I, I would yeah, love to see that expanded. Now. Yeah, there are a few more now. Uh, the in fact, I think there's a lot more than a few. But, so you can actually like use one of these decentralized exchanges to swap Bitcoin for Bitcoin Cash or whatever. That is being developed. It's called Thor Chain right now, and that does okay. exist. It is out nice. there. It's been hacked a couple of times. But, Unfortunate, but it hasn't been hacked in like six months. So and they a, paid their people back. They did make uh, make good on the hack, and they did they did hire some like red teams to go in and, and audit their code and you know do some white hat kind of hacking on it to, to try to secure good. it nice. even more. Uh, well, but we get they're going to require know your customer on Jack Dorsey's so called decentralized exchange. I'm assuming there's other reasons it's not really going to be decentralized as well. That's the number one reason. Know your customer means you're not decentralized. We're going to continue talking about Jack Dorsey's quote decentralized exchange six zero three two eight three six one six zero. It's Free Talk Live, where your calls and thoughts are welcome. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. Again, that number 603-283-6160. With you tonight is Aria, Bonnie, and Ian. And we've been telling you about how Intercoin can help any business or organization launch their own currency or raise money using their own token. Well, now Intercoin has launched its investor token. That's ITR. And you can find it at xmarkets.com. That's exmarkets.com. It's also on Uniswap. You can find links to both of those on their website. That's intercoin.org. 
buy and sell some intercoin pick up pick up some for yourself that's the intercoin investor token and you just might be advancing the cause of liberty around the world check them out it's i n t e r coin.org we've been talking about jack dorsey here and bitcoin and his quote decentralized exchange that is going to allow banks from what we can understand of his scheme banks can come in and they, they don't have to get permission they have a permissionless system set up for these institutions i think they even cited banks specifically now that yes, i remember they it. did but the average person is going to have to deal with some sort of kyc so it's know your customer yes so, so it's not at all a decentralized exchange it's just that the banks don't need permission from jack dorsey's Correct. Exchange, but That's my understanding. won't they eventually need permission in some way from the government? Because he can't grant them that. Well, the the government gang requires that these companies be know your customer requ- re- compliant, meaning that they have to right. ask everybody who they do business with, who they are, where they're from, what their grandma, you know, who their grandma was, what their bra size is, you know. I mean, all these personal identifying information that is so invasive. Some of them get ridiculously invasive. Yeah, and then even after you provided the information, if you send a transfer that's too much in their opinion, or they don't like X, Y, or Z thing about it or whatever they'll freeze the transaction and they'll freeze your account or they just don't like your answers yeah yeah or they'll just close your account uh it is arbitrary and asinine and it's i mean it hasn't been a problem for me in quite a long time but it is annoying having to deal with these cryptocurrency exchanges because they will do stuff like this if if you make repeated purchases of i don't know fifty dollars from kraken they're going to stop you at like the third one and say no 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 we suspect this is a duplicate transaction, so we put this on hold yeah. for the next five days. For your days. benefit, mm-hmm. while, yeah. you're, while you're like, I wanted to buy now, <laughs> and now you can't. And, like the, and their li- solution as well, instead, spend $50.01, and then $50.02. Mm. That way it's always unique and different. Like, or you could just let me say, yep, nope, that's on purpose, yeah. or let my bank deal with that, because that's the bank's problem, not yours. Yeah, my little sister was just trying to buy crypto from, I think it was Coinbase, and Oh, Coinbase at, is the devil. At first, I was letting her spend like $700 a day, and then all of a sudden, it was just like, no, $150. No, Wasn't it $77. just $700 for the first day? And yeah, then I think it, it was just like one day that I let her spend that much money, and then it kept going down and down and down, and, and it, to the point that it was making her buy like $25 a day. It's bizarre. I hate Coinbase, though. But let's go to the phones. We have Mac calling from Colorado. Mac, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi, ah, yes. Um... Craig Wright, uh, claiming to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Who else has claimed to be Satoshi? Oh, plenty of people have made the claim. There are other people, but they're just not very memorable. Let's see. Who are the ones that, that are memorable to you guys? Like I said, if I could remember one, I would tell you, but I don't recall. Oh. Do you think that, Satoshi um, Nakam- that Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto? No, okay. absolutely not. I mean, he's the loudest um, person who's making the claim, and he's got the most money, and he's willing to sue people about it. So he gets the right. media coverage. A lot of these people claiming to be Satoshi, they they just they may tweet or about it or something, but they don't have you know CoinDesk writing article or Coin Telegraph writing articles about how they're Satoshi Nakamoto or claiming to be Satoshi Nakamoto. All right. Okay. Have you heard of a name? Uh, Adam Back. I've yeah, never, I've heard of him. He I is a programmer or a CEO or something of Blockstream, which is a company. He's a British cryptographer and cypherpunk. Uh, he is the CEO of Blockstream, which mm-hmm. is co founded in 
2014 invested hash cash, which is used in the Bitcoin mining process. Yeah, that's Blockstream is a company, I believe, that's developing the Lightning Network, aren't they? Uh, I wouldn't know about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's their main product that they're pushing right now. Is your idea that this guy may be Satoshi Nakamoto? Um, he's definitely on the list of being likely. Um, there is a YouTube channel, probably also on Odyssey. Um, have you ever heard of the YouTube channel Barely Sociable? No, no. Can't say that I have. So, but you know, I don't think Satoshi Nakamoto would identify the problems in Bitcoin and then take up such a terrible, clunky solution to those problems. Right. Satoshi already had the solution to uh, to the Bitcoin network getting full, increase the block size. I mean, originally the Bitcoin network was programmed to have no block size, and then they which makes perfect sense. Yeah, but they it made sense at the time to add a block size to keep temporarily. Yes. To keep the network from being uh, overtaken by by spam, essentially. So they implemented that. But yes, it was meant to be temporary. Get rid of the block size limit, and that will fix most of Bitcoin's problems. they implemented the block size while Satoshi was still active? He did, yeah. yeah. Oh, he did. I believe he was involved in the implementation of the uh, the block size limit. But uh, the, it, I was, buy this. it served a very specific function then, though. It wasn't just like, yeah. oh, well, we, we're having too many transactions come through. Our miners aren't making enough money, which is why they, they continue to exist today. Mm. I don't buy the idea that Adam Back uh, is, the, 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 that is to say, the person who runs Blockstream is Satoshi Nakamoto for the reason you brought up, Arya, because you know, he, Satoshi wouldn't have created Lightning, I don't think. And secondly, all you have to do is look at the uh, the people who are funding Blockstream, and you find out that mega banks are funding Blockstream. Banks like AXA, which people in the United States have never heard of AXA Bank before, but if you're in Britain, uh, you may know about AXA. It is one of the largest banks on the planet. It's based out of uh, Belgium, and no, I've never heard of it. Yeah, they're a major investor in uh, Blockstream, as is the Digital Currency Group, which is a subgroup of other investors, including MasterCard. So I just don't buy that, no, that Satoshi would you know, get all cozy with the, uh, the banking industry when he created Bitcoin to take them down. Yeah, and he stated that explicitly in the early newsletters. He even cited the 2007 recession that was created and caused by banks as being one of the reasons that he decided to come up with a solution to to take down that financial system. Right. So I don't buy it. I don't either. Uh, thank you so much for the call tonight, Mac. I I don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. I, I like to think that the guy or girl or group is still around getting some sort of enjoyment from this world-changing technology that they've created. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to imagine that Satoshi Nakamoto is sitting on a beach somewhere, Just super laughing. wealthy, going, yeah. man, I changed the world. Yeah. Right? It, it would sadden me to think that Satoshi Nakamoto didn't, didn't get live. get to see this. Right. Yeah. So, I prefer to think Satoshi's alive, and if it was me, and I was Satoshi Nakamoto, that's what I would be doing, is hanging on a beach somewhere, retired. I mean, he's done his work to make the world a better place. Yep. That's another I reason that I don't buy that Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto is another ideological reason beyond the fact that he has refused to prove his claims. Right, uh, which would with, be easy. By like moving some Bitcoin in the original wallets. Uh, but uh, the other one is that he supports governments. He's specifically spoken in favor of the government and against anarchism. 
And well, I don't think Satoshi would make that statement. Craig Wright needs the government in order to sue, to people. sue people. So, of course, he loves the government. Right. What are your thoughts on Satoshi Nakamoto Bitcoin? Do you think Satoshi's sitting on a beach somewhere drinking a margarita? 603-283-6160. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. It's Free Talk Live, where you're invited to call in, share your thoughts and opinions. 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And Bonnie. And we're talking about Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto. And one of the reasons I prefer to think of Satoshi still being alive is because of the way that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency have evolved in ways that no one could have predicted. Like now there's a blockchain-based video sharing platform. And I'm sure... Odyssey. Yes. My library, lbry.com. And I'm sure when Satoshi sat down to write the Bitcoin white paper, he never envisioned that being a result. Actually, we should be clear. It's not so much a platform as it is a protocol. That's true. Which is more important. Odyssey is a platform. platform. Odyssey is the platform. Library is the protocol. It's a media sharing protocol. So it's not just for video. It's primarily used for video. Yeah, I clicked on one that was a picture the other day. I was like, what the heck is this? If you want to upload, I I think you can put a PDF up there. You can put an audio file up there. You can put songs. You can put books. You can put any any file, basically, that can be turned into an attachment. You can upload to Odyssey. I mean, to Library. It is primarily video because that's what people prefer to do. Yes. But presumably... You could also just type up an article and throw it yes, on there. You can. Yeah, the, this picture, I was like looking up a subject. I thought I was clicking on a video about it, and it just picked up or, you know, loaded a big picture, and then he had his opinions about it. It was like an yeah, artistic picture. You can put a blog picture. post up there for sure. And that's library. I, I think the library is probably, L, the URL is probably lbry.com. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Or you can just, you know, View it on Odyssey, which is their platform that utilizes the library network to make things easier. We actually stream there. You can find our channel at video.freetalklive.com. That's right. And there we don't actually have to worry about being censored. We can say what we want without worrying about YouTube kicking us off. Now, to be fair, we've been streaming now to YouTube continually for like six weeks without being suspended again. So maybe they're... Maybe they're dialing back their oppression just a little bit. I think it's just random based on I think it the, whoever is. the hater is that's re, you know reporting our channel. 
Well, they probably realize that if they report us, then they can't complain about us endlessly on YouTube because we're not streaming there, which means they have to go to Odyssey where cryptocurrency enthusiasts and actual fans of the show just eviscerate them. So that's video.freetalklive.com. We have Sarah on the line from New Mexico. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Oh, yes. Um, um, have you guys ever heard of Joyce Meyer Ministries? Yes. No, who is that? She's a Christian lady that my mom used to listen to. She has, like, short hair. She's, she like a TV Christian yeah, kind TV, of person? Yeah, TV, but you can go to her in real life. I think she's, like, Southern. Oh, yeah. What I about her, Sarah? From, well, uh, I think uh, the she's from St. Louis, uh, Missouri. But one thing that I really um, um, appreciative of her ministry is that she's got rescue homes for the human trafficked girls all mm. over the world. So that's really important to me um, because, uh, you know, so if, uh, if people want to help these um, homes, um, you know, you could donate to her ministry. Like and I, I do a lot of times. So it's actually her website is JoyceMeyer.org. So it's she's definitely nonprofit. She's not about making money. It's a church. So but they and then she'll also give you a free magazine. I get a monthly magazine about all the help that she's doing around the world. And I've seen stories about girls in Thailand, and she's got a dream center in St. Louis, and she's got one in Los Angeles. Aren't you a communist? Yeah, Sarah, I'm curious. Why why aren't governments solving these problems? Well, I mean, they no, they they do try. The government there's a lot of government <laughs> funded, but also. But yeah, they Joyce, have, they're uh, not doing a good enough job, so Joyce Meyer has to step in. This says that Joyce Meyer's net worth is nine point five million. Okay. Uh, uh. Well. Well. So. Well. And God blessed her. Well, you know, and she's doing. I believe that, things. but you're always saying capitalist people who have too much money should be forcibly put into jail or killed. So that's why I'm confused. I don't think that okay, God blessed she, her. I think that silly Christians blessed her. <laughs> well, the thing about it is that you know what? I'm glad she lives in a nice house. I mean, she's an example of like how she gives of herself. She gives to feed people and um, bring water to them, um, hospital care, and she rescues these, um, you know, prostitute girls. And then she gets to, you know, drive a nice car, live in a nice house. And, According you know, to the St. Louis so- Post-Dispatch, Meyer has a $10 million corporate jet. Her husband has a $107,000 silver gray Mercedes sedan. They live in a $2 million home and have other houses, apparently worth another $2 million for her children. $20 million headquarters furnished with $5.7 million worth of furniture, artwork, glassware, and the latest equipment and machinery, including a $30,000 Malachite round table, a $23,000 marble-topped antique commode. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Shouldn't all those things be sold and then the uh, profits divvied up and given to the homeless people of New Mexico or something, Sarah? Well, you know what? If I really lived in a, a truly communist society, I think that that would happen. But we still live in a, a mixed economy in a, in a capitalist America. I mean, we, we hold, hold, hold on. It's America. either a mixed economy or it's a capitalist economy. And I'll give it well, to you, you know, that it's, is, it's a mixed economy. I mean, that's well, economics well, I 101. Have my, the thing is, I, cannot, I, I could wish what I want, but I have to live in the world where what it, it is what it is. So it's a mixed economy. 
You're giving this woman money, right? You you said you donate to her? Right. Yes, I do. How do you feel about buying her custom-made toilet with the marble on it or whatever She obviously supports it. I mean, you paid for that, Sarah. You bought this lady's toilet. No, but she also rescues um, girls that are trafficked into homes. Don't you think that people who are, uh, you know, those people who are in the ministry positions of the world should be, I don't know, a little more humble? Or is it okay to just go jet setting around with a $10 million jet and, you know, whatever other million dollar spendings on lavishness? Well, I mean, to me, to me, I think it's okay. I, I think it's okay because she, you know, brings water to people, uh, you know, free health care and feeds people all around the, around the world. She's got orphanages. She's got... Um, Imagine how um, much more she could do if she wasn't flying around in a $10 million private jet. I don't. I just want to make sure. I I want to clear. I want to clarify something here. I don't think that she should be punished for this. I don't think that it should be illegal. I think you know, if you want to support this woman, that's your choice. If you think it's fine uh, to support her lavish lifestyle, that that's her reward for doing the good things that you think she's done, then that's fine. That's that's your choice. To me, it's a turnoff. Uh, I think that uh, that that kind of lavish spending on the part of uh, of a minister represents someone who maybe has their priorities a little bit mistaken. Sure, uh, and it's very unChristian. You know, the whole mythos of Christianity is that these good deeds that she's doing here on earth, rescuing people from being sex trafficked or whatever. She's going to be rewarded for that in heaven. She's not supposed oh, to get a reward so, for it here on earth. That is so 2,000 years ago. Haven't you heard of the prosperity message? I actually haven't. What is that? Right, really, right. I'm surprised. Have you heard of the prosperity message? You She's know, like, asking you right. seriously about it. No, I've not heard about oh, it. Yeah, 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 the prosperity message is that if you give of something that you have, you actually get more back in return. That's God's math. God, that's God's mathematics. You where did, where, in what part of the Bible did that originate? Well, well, I don't disagree. Sarah, I don't personally disagree with what you're saying. I mean, I think there is a like this universal rule that says you should give in order to receive that you shouldn't just receive, receive, receive. You should you should put it out there into the universe and it will come back to you tenfold. However, you don't have to accept a million dollar mansion. You know, you could just say, no, no, that's okay. I could live in a $200,000 house. So I don't know if I buy the whole idea that uh, these guys are truly selling the way they're selling it. Sarah, thank you so much for the call tonight. And I I, want to reiterate, I'm not opposed to such an idea of, you know, getting back what you put out there. I don't know if I believe that it's there or believe that it isn't there, but it's certainly not corresponding to any part of Christian doctrine. Mm -hmm. That's something Christians just made up to justify the existence of people like Joyce Meyer and Joel Austin. The universe didn't send her the $23,000 commode. She ordered that somewhere. Yes, probably from Amazon. (laughs) 603-283-6160. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Talk Live, where you are invited to join us, weigh in with your thoughts and opinions, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. Again, that number, 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And it's Bonnie. And we've been pretty vocal critics of this metaverse thing that that the media is really trotting out there and trying to sell people on. 
and it's got multi-billion dollar companies pushing it it does one of which is facebook one of the mm-hmm. most successful media companies in the world heavily i mean they even rebranded their company in order to focus on this metaverse nonsense and we're not alone in this, I don't think it's going to sell to the average person. I don't think the average person working at the convenience store has ever heard of this metaverse <laughs> thing. And I don't think they're going to be sold on it when they hear it. But the propaganda being put out around it, because we are constantly seeing puff pieces from the media that's just praising this technology and how it's, oh my goodness, there was a wedding in the metaverse. And this is this opens up so many possibilities of things that have all, we've always dreamed of and that have been going on on the internet for the last 20 years. <laughs> Only the media didn't talk about it because it was nerds and World of Warcraft or whatever and not your average soccer mom. Mm-hmm. If people didn't get married on World of Warcraft, I would be very shocked. I'm sure they did. I can't think of anyone who they specifically did it, but yeah. yeah. So a tech founder born in the Soviet Union is now comparing metaverse hype to the communist propaganda that he experienced as a child. Wow. Phil Libin is the founder of the note-taking app Evernote and the CEO of the video conferencing company Mm-hmm. I've used their app, Evernote. Have you? Yeah. It's like a little note-taking app and it, it works. Yeah. It saves I mean, your notes to the cloud. That's all it does. I would rather my, my save mine to my device. That's always yeah. the issue I have with these note-taking things. Yeah. It's like... Why can't I just create a text document on my phone that just stays on my phone? But that's a minor thing. Well, the nice part about the cloud is if you break your phone, then you can still get back into the thing. Yeah, I was shocked that whenever I got my uh, into my iCloud or whatever it is account, iPhone account, it didn't save anything except my notes in my notepad. Do you mean Hmm. when the Fed stole your phone? Yeah, and then I got a new iPhone and... I tried to connect it to my iCloud account. So they didn't even save your phone book? Maybe my phone book. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, ideally you should have your your notes saved on the device and in the cloud in order to protect it from accidental destruction. I suppose it depends on the note, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. If it's super private, then yeah, you don't want it in the, somebody else's possession. So Phil made these comments in a podcast hosted by the tech journalist Eric Newcomer. The New York Times, Katie Benner, and Insider's Tom Doten, and it was released yesterday, Libin expressed deep skepticism of tech companies touting the metaverse and drew a comparison with his experience growing up in Leningrad, Russia. Hmm. I went to first grade in the Soviet Union, he said. I was subjected to a lot of Soviet propaganda, and I was told as a little kid repeatedly, communism doesn't exist yet. We haven't built communism yet. We're building towards communism, but it's not communism yet. We just need to kill a few more people. What you see around you, this horrible, horrible place, isn't communism. We're building towards it. It's going to be great when it gets here. Wow. So I really see his point here because that's pretty much what they are saying about the metaverse. And if you actually look into the technology, it's pretty clear that they're building towards something, but they're in the early, early Mm. stages of it. And he, he goes on, you know, you can smell a bad idea before it's fully built. So I don't want to hear, oh, yeah, the metaverse doesn't exist yet. No, no, no. All this stuff, all this stupid, useless, crappy stuff that exists right now. That's not the metaverse. The metaverse is coming. It's coming. Which is a fair point because they're not making the claim that Decentraland or whatever Facebook's is called because I don't remember Horizon now. World. Yes. yes. Is the metaverse. They're saying, oh, this is proof that the metaverse is coming. 
I think they're claiming, uh, Facebook at the very least, is claiming that that is their Metaverse app. That's their first one, so there's more coming. Uh, but they That's want almost people- worse. That's their first Metaverse app. That's their proof of concept. Look, you can do things. You can build things. Uh, you can make uh, a little world thing. I think somebody's sort of. got like a mini golf game and somebody else has a laser tag game but in I, there. I still think it is what he's saying if they're saying, oh, the, but it's going to get better. Well, yeah. I mean, the, of course it's going to get better. I mean, that's inevitable. Technology sure. is going to improve. The tech is going to get better. The virtual reality headsets are going to be better in the future. They're going to be wireless at some yeah, point. Yeah, that's a given. They're going to get lighter. And uh, and the software is going to get better. There's no doubt about it. The question is, is that where people are going to want to spend their time? And that's what they're constantly trying to pa- hound you into believing. Yes, right that, it, that it's going to be great. Everyone's going to love it. And it's going to be mass adopted. And I don't see it. The word metaverse. I hope you're right, Aria. I really do. Because if it is mass adopted, that is, uh, it's a scary world of people that are even more disconnected from one another than they've ever been to me. I think Facebook and these other companies are deluded in thinking that it's going to be mass adopted. But the average person, I genuinely believe, if you show them this technology and put on one of these headsets and let them play around in Decentraland or Horizon Worlds or whatever, they're going to go, this is is garbage. Yeah, Yeah. this is absolutely horrible. Yeah, what's the average amount of time that a totally un... Like somebody who's never been in VR before would keep that headset on to be in Horizon Worlds. And what I don't understand is what is different about the metaverse and all the VR games that have existed already? Uh, well, the VR games were better. They, they looked better, <laughs> they look better and they were more fun to be in. And yeah. even just things people have described to me, because I've never played one, have sounded cooler, like Aria going underground, or I don't know, they do ones where... I can't there are think. some really cool VR games out there. Yeah, like if you want to play a game where you shoot other people, there's a bunch of way better ones than I'm sure of what you're going to get in Facebook's uh, little program. what is the difference between the metaverse and just VR games? There isn't one except the Facebook version looks and plays terribly. I wanna, I'll, I'll answer <laughs> they that. They are video games as far as I can tell. So, They're just bad. The, the answer to that question, Bonnie, from what, from what we've read is... They're selling the metaverse idea. The metaverse is, at this point, a concept uh, that they're trying to shoehorn people into buying that doesn't truly exist in the way that it's been envisioned, right? Like, there are VR applications. There's a variety of them. They're not all games. There's some other non... Like, you know, there's one where you can paint. Or you can go to... uh conferences apparently in vr horizon worlds has that they have a conference room where you can sit in a conference room instead of being in a you know a zoom call you can sit in a room with uh, torsos floating torsos and have an actual you know quote-unquote meeting so they're trying to to they're trying to basically take vr outside of the realm of gaming and mass market that in a way that is trying to pitch the idea of, oh, this will be your life. You will live in the in this world and it will be better. So that's that's the pitch behind the metaverse. Is it isn't just that you can go and play laser tag or, you know, sh- you know, shoot somebody or play mini golf. It's that you'll get to socialize. You'll get to have you'll get to have your work meetings. You won't have to go to work. You'll be in the virtual reality metaverse. You need to go shopping? Just pull up the Walmart app and you can just grab virtual items off the shelf. And you'll never have to leave your house. It'll all be delivered to you, especially for those of you that are afraid of leaving your house because yeah. you believe COVID is going to infect you and you might get sick and die or something. So it's they're pushing this at the right time. 
right? Because there's a tremendous wave of fear among people. I don't think people. they are because the technology doesn't seem to be there. True. Um, I mean, that's true, but they're starting the push now. And, and they're, they're, it happens to coincide with a time where people are now more than ever working from home and they're now more than ever irrationally afraid of going outside in, in a lot of cases. So there is a market for this, but I do agree with you, Aria, that it's certainly not – I don't think it's as big as they think that it's going to be, and I certainly hope it's not as big as they think it's going to be. Well, what they're portraying it as reminds me of Ready Player One, where there's this massive lobby that's the metaverse, and it contains all of these other little worlds if you want to go – you know, play laser tag or the first person mm-hmm. shooter on the ice planet, you can do that. Or if you want to drive a race car, you can do that. Those are all just different games within the metaverse or different things you can do within the metaverse, right? That's what they're sort of trying to paint the metaverse as being. But your average person has already experienced VR to some extent through... Have they? May, the average person I can think of, yeah. What percentage of people have actually put on a VR helmet? I don't I think it's that have. high. I don't think it's that high. I think it probably is because mm-hmm. VR was really popular during the like their no nephew or someone had a VR headset, so they tried it out and they played one of these games, or a friend of theirs had one, so they tried it out. And I think the average person is going to see what Facebook has put forward, and they're going to immediately see that this technology is 15, 20 years out of date. I think the issue with it getting main, mainstream is you have to have a whole room to play VR in where you can move your arms around and stuff. Like we don't have that in this house. We do kind of now, but uh, you literally have to have an entire No, I'm putting a couch in there. <laughs> cleared out. Uh, according to a survey in 2021, 23% of Americans have tried a VR or AR headset. What was the percentage? What's Which, AR? Uh, AR is 23%. Oh, augmented reality. Augmented reality. So, yeah, I would have assumed it was higher than that. Of that group, 31% of so 31% of the 23% own a headset. The rest of them have tried one on. 603-283-6160 if you want to join us. It's Free Talk Live. Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, and your calls and thoughts are welcome. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. That's 603-283-6160. And we're talking about the metaverse here, and... We like making fun of it because we've seen it in action. None of us have used a VR headset to explore Horizon Worlds, but we've seen we've seen videos of people doing it and it's it's so bad that it would be funny except for how much the media is pushing it as this next great big thing that's going to revolutionize the world and it isn't. And I said previously that I suspect the average person has already experienced VR and is going to immediately know when they see this VR world that, oh, this, if this is the best you have to offer, come visit, come talk to me in a couple of decades. Imagine being told, hey, there's a new style of 3D movie coming out. So mm. you go Again? to watch it. You're, you're super <laughs> excited. They finally have figured out the technology and then they hand you those red and blue glasses <laughs> and they say, now enjoy the movie. And that's what... That's what meta and this metaverse nonsense is. It's taking VR technology that's gone way past those stupid red and blue glasses, mm-hmm. and it's bringing back the red and blue glasses. That's an interesting analogy. 
But I did look up the numbers. Uh, according to a study done by Harris Poll in uh, the summer of 2021, so fairly recent, uh, they talked to 2010 U.S. adults about virtual and augmented reality. Now, can one of you define augmented reality? Pokemon Go. It's like uh. where you scan an environment with your phone or something like that. Amazon also has yeah. the ability to do this, and it augments that onto your screen like it'll add a pokemon there or mm-hmm. let you see what a desk will look like if positioned in a part of your room or something mm. like I that i thought that was pretty crazy you used an app like that well on amazon it will let you see if you're looking at like furniture it will let let you turn on your camera and look at your room huh. and see what it would look like in your room wow it's sort I didn't of know that. it's sort of clunky though because you can't fully make it the right angle and size and stuff yeah it how does like, it know what the size of the room is well, does it, it, it like, doesn't. It basically just takes the picture of the desk and slaps it on there. Like like if it was just a PNG where it was just the desk and the transparency uh-huh. layer and you had a picture of your bedroom, that's what it would that do. That sounds really it, clunky. It I would mean, just I, throw it on there. And, I would think it would want to know how large the room is so you would know relatively how large the desk is going to be. Those would seem to be like basic features that, that would that be helpful. I think you can. I think you can pinch and you know spread your fingers out to zoom in and make the desk bigger or whatever. I don't remember. I've only played with it once, and <laughs> yeah, I was like, too. "Okay, that that could be useful." Yeah. But I'll give you I'm, a useful augmented reality app. Uh, we were walking, uh, you know, one of our walks with Coconut uh, mm-hmm. around the neighborhood, and uh, Bonnie was saying, "That's a really bright." you know, planet star. or whatever. Yeah. And I, and which one is that? And I, I was like, I, it can't be a know. star. It's so bright. And I, I don't know what it is, but I bet you there's an app that we can pull up. Oh, that, something like Celestia or one of these. That, I don't remember what it was called. That but, might've been it. Yeah. Anyway, free app. And uh, you just point it at the sky and based on, you know, where it, your GPS position, it, the phone knows exactly where you are. Right? It was so, Venus. Yeah. It was, we figured out what it was. Thanks to that. I mean, that's something. That's you really had cool. I didn't like, know they had that on mobile. There was a yeah. laptop version of it several years ago that I really loved, but it was, it was a bit different from that. Like this would, you could actually go out there and look at other stars, like you were in a spaceship sort of thing, oh, and wow. it was accurate to where they actually were. So it was, it was pretty cool. Not That's augmented cool. reality, though. Yeah. So augmented reality is wherever you have an app that kind of assists you with whatever you're trying to do in Google real life. Google Translate does this as well. Yeah. It, it can re- yeah. detect the text on your screen and modify it into a language of your choosing. That's also one of the most useful apps. If you travel internationally, that's so useful. You can like scan a menu at a restaurant and actually, not scan, but just literally hold your app, your phone over the menu and it it's a little clunky. It doesn't always sure. get the translations perfect. Sometimes it changes the translation as you're sitting over it. But for the most part, you can kind of figure out what like a menu item is going to be or what a, a directional sign says as you're trying to you know walk around somewhere. Or if you have a bilingual boyfriend and you're trying to read his diary. Sure. I guess, yeah. That's, are, you, are you saying you did that? No. Okay. No, definitely not. Never. <laughs> uh, so 23% of Americans, according to this survey last year, have tried a VR, AR headset. So you said that was actually less than what you thought it was going to be. I said it was more. I figured it'd be like 10%. I, when I say uh, I expected it to be closer to 40%, I'm not including anyone over the age of 60. So I, I do have to w- make that clarification. I, okay. I, I, I imagine your average person over 60 years old has never even seen a vr headset well in that case then you are absolutely right because when they break it down by generations millennials 42 percent have tried augmented or virtual reality now they didn't break out which i'd expect it to be higher for millennials though and lower for gen x yeah and then when you 
when you add in augmented, I have a hard time believing that only 40% of millennials played uh, Pokemon Go. Maybe they didn't know what augmented reality meant because I just feel like more of them played it. I don't know. I presume that they were told in the survey like what it is. That way they knew, but I don't know. I don't know what the questions were exactly. Um, they also did a question of how excited are you about virtual and augmented reality? Because there's a difference between trying it and being excited about it. And when you look at millennials, again, uh, people roughly between the ages of 25 and 40, according to the survey here, uh, 17% were very excited. 26% were somewhat excited there. So that's a good chunk of the millennials who are pretty enthusiastic. What year did this come uh, out? This, this was this uh, 2021, summer of 2021. So fairly recent. Uh, Gen X, 13%, very excited. 20% somewhat excited. And Gen Z, a little bit more excited, with 11% very excited and 31% somewhat excited. Boomers, barely anybody cares. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's convenient, because we don't care what the boomers think. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I don't like that they're including VR and augmented reality in the same sort of niche here, because to me, those are very, very different things. Yeah. However, I was curious, so I checked it out. Pokemon Go, as of the end of 2020... Had been downloaded. This doesn't mean unique players had right, been downloaded. Right, you can download it once and then delete it and download it again. That counts. One point one billion times. Whoa. Globally. So, yes, that is globally. And I would just have to think that millennials were the number one group because that, like, Pokemon was that's what they millennials grew up with, right? thing. Yeah. yeah. Like it came out when I was a one year old, I think. But like for people who were kids, if or you teenagers, ever say anything like that again, <laughs> I'm leaving. Wait, what did she say? Sorry, I was looking. Pokemon, at stats. I think, came out in 1997, which I would be a one year old. <laughs> oh. Okay, I, I feel better then. I, I thought Pokemon Go came oh. out when you were one years old. Okay, <laughs> no. I was like, "There's, there's no way that much time has passed." But no, <laughs> okay. she's not that young. <laughs> no, I know she's not that young. I thought I was that old. <laughs> the time just moved really fast. Pokemon has definitely been around a really long time, though, several yeah. decades. I, I'm at peace with that. But Pokemon <laughs> Go, you were one. <laughs> Twenty years went past me, and I didn't notice. I think it came out in 2015 or 2014. Yeah, I don't remember when it was, but it it wasn't that long ago, six, yeah. seven years ago, maybe. So one of the other interesting statistics from this first study here, again, looking at both VR and augmented reality together, 90% of those who've tried a headset, so again, only about you know 23% of Americans, if you include the boomers, uh, have tried it. And 90% of those who've tried it said they're likely to use one again, with two-thirds saying they will definitely use one again. So that does suggest that there's a lot of growth opportunity for things like the metaverse in the future, if indeed it is that satisfying. But on the other hand, another study from like 2020, I think, only shows that about 55% of users are satisfied with virtual reality. So again, this other study is only looking at virtual reality, while the first one combines virtual reality with augmented reality. And one of the biggest complaints about virtual reality, which you don't get with augmented reality, is motion sickness. Uh, there's nearly uh, more than half of the users have at some point experienced motion sickness with 13, uh, over 13, 13% experiencing it frequently, so they're not going to use it at all. Uh, 19% sometimes and almost 25% rarely. Yeah, I, I've experienced the motion sickness only with one particular game, but it was the game that I played VR the most probably. So, mm -hmm. 
But it's not it's not like your normal vertigo where you think, okay, well, just take the head headset off and sit down for a few minutes and you'll be fine. No, the vertigo, for whatever reason, it would last hours after wow. taking off the headset. It, wow. Is that common, sucked. too? Is that what other people I don't experience? know. But that was my experience with Skyrim and VR. Hmm. Sure, it was fun. It looked terrible. It was very pixelated, very low res. You think the technology will make that better over time? I don't think it can. Hmm. I, I think it will only make it more likely that people experience vertigo because there's a disconnect between what their brain is feeling and what their what brain the is perceiving. Doing. So I don't know. What do you think? It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, 603-283-6160. If you'd like to join us, it's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. It's Bonnie. And we're raising funds with Give Directly, which is the first nonprofit that allows you to give money directly to people who are living in extreme poverty. We're raising money for families that live in Bamet and Khalifi counties in Kenya. And these are places where there is actual real poverty, where people don't have drinking water or electricity or little things like that that, you know, are kind of critical to a person's well-being. Give Directly allows those people in those situations to make the decisions about what is going to help them the most, instead of relying on some distant aid organization to make that decision for them. And because of that... Free Talk Live is matching your donations to Give Directly up to $30,000. So if you're feeling generous, head on over to give.freetalklive.com. That's give.freetalklive.com and help out some of these areas played by drought, floods, and food insecurity. There's probably not a better way to directly help families in Kenya. That's give.freetalklive.com. Making fun of the metaverse here. And you brought up during the break that the Valve Index is almost $1,000, which is Pretty pricey for a VR headset. I know a guy who's really into virtual reality. Uh, it's actually Chris's partner, our Friday night co-host. His partner is. And I asked him recently, because he's apparently tried more than one headset. You know you're in <laughs> wow. to okay. virtual yeah. reality if you've tried more than one. Uh, and he says that the Valve Index is his favorite one uh, of, of all of them out there. But again, you know, it's $1,000 for this thing. Then you got to have a ballsy PC to play this thing with. So you're talking about at least $2,000 investment if you don't already have a gaming quality PC. And that's the part that confuses me because I would have expected Valve, you know, the company behind Steam. This the- is a uh, program that allows people to download software. If you never used a computer before, if you're not a computer game, you don't know what that yeah. is. But Steam is the largest video game distributor for PC on the on the planet. Yeah, it's huge. They're huge. And at one time they took Bitcoin and that was really awesome. They don't now because Bitcoin fees got too high, but you yeah, know, that's sad. If they have a VR system, I would expect it to work the way that a PC normally works, right? It's just a 3D display that you strap to your head and it mm-hmm. uses its own controllers. That's how I would expect it to work. But no, once again, it has its own unique library of games. And I understand it would be complicated to take a game not designed for VR, mm-hmm. like just whatever game, Fallout 4, and create software that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, that turns that into a VR experience for you. But That'd that's, be fine because you, you blast off from like a helicopter and land in a position in Fallout. I've never played any of the Fallouts, but that's what I would expect one of these VR headsets to I do. I think you're thinking of the game that Matt plays. Which is not Fallout. You're no, talking- oh, no, he plays Call of Duty. Yeah, it's Call of Duty. Oh, okay. No, it's a different one. I think it's Fallout. I've played the Fallouts. I don't recall uh, blasting off from a helicopter. Oh, well, I've never played it. I was 
thinking of watching. I mean, I've only watched people, but I maybe it's not Fallout. Sorry. Actually, there was a scene with a, a helicopter in one of them, I think. But but I mean, if you think about the 3D experience from just a technical standpoint, it seems like it would be very, very easy to have the game running twice hmm. on two different screens and have them just slightly different from each other. Have the, have the yeah. controllers able to make that happen and have the display do that, and then it can work with any PC game. Nothing yeah, about that sounds easy to me. Well, it, it would be easy for me, but the concept is easy, and that's what I would expect any of these to do. Mm-hmm. You plug yeah. in your graphics card, your graphics card does most of the work, and that's literally just a display. Yeah, but I wonder that's why they what, don't do that. I don't know, but everyone has their own unique little um, library of games, mm-hmm. and that's the part where they lose me on it, because you have things like vacation simulator and job simulator and i understand you know there's people people are buying that crap but that's not the kind of game i want to play and the one i looked at uh vacation simulator i expected it to look better than facebook's uh horizon worlds it's about the same for the Mm -hmm. most part except in vacation simulator you don't even get a torso you're just floating hands and a floating head okay because those are the parts presumably that you can use to interact with in the vr world Mm -hmm. so we're talking about this guy here he was he lived in the soviet union he was exposed to soviet union propaganda and he's pointing out that all of this stuff we're hearing it's reminiscent of what he heard as a child this is an interesting comparison i mean we've been critical of the metaverse since we first heard about it but to to take it to the level of saying it's tantamount to soviet propaganda is I, i didn't expect this it's interesting The word metaverse evidently is borrowed from science fiction Mm -hmm. and refers to a future version of the internet accessed through immersive technologies such as virtual reality and augmented reality headsets. It's been pushed a lot by Mark Zuckerberg. Libin... Reason number one to be skeptical. Yeah, definitely. Libin, who's the guy from Russia, he's now the CEO of a couple of tech companies, Mm -hmm. described it as, quote, a gloss that uncreative people and companies put over fundamentally a lack of good ideas. Mm. What I can't understand is if that is really what it is, if it's that Mark Zuckerberg is just like, oh, this isn't really that good of an idea, but we have to put a gloss over it. Why would he get rid of Facebook, his like baby, and turn it into meta? Like, we're rebranding everything. Well, they didn't get rid of Facebook. No, Facebook well, is yeah, they didn't get rid of it. But now instead of Facebook, it's meta. Right. And well, he's doing what all of these these people who created these enormous tech companies are doing. They created this great big thing like Jack Dorsey did with Twitter, made mm-hmm. himself super wealthy off it, and now he's pursuing the thing that personally interests him, which uh. is cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg is doing the same thing. He created Facebook, or stole Facebook, I don't know, and I don't care, <laughs> right. and it made him a lot of money, so now he's using that money, and Facebook's money, presumably, to invest in technology that he cares about, which happens to be virtual reality. Well, from his, so lame. Well, but from his perspective, I don't think virtual reality is lame technology. I think it's pretty neat, actually, but uh, from his perspective, it makes sense. You know, Facebook's goal is to get people into their system, right? They want to get all of the planet. To, to create a Facebook account. That's never going to happen, obviously, but that's what they want. They want as many billions of users, and I think they've had more than a billion, and they might still. Uh, they're very, very Probably popular. not active users anymore, though. Maybe, but they've, they've been very successful at it, right? Like, they're one of the world's top, you know, largest uh, tech corporations. And from their perspective, they got to do something fresh, right? Like, you can't keep doing the same thing in the tech world, right? You're going to get 
stale. You've yeah. got to try something new. And so he Facebook sees... Facebook's been stale. Or you've got to buy new ideas. Or and that's what they them. did. That's what they did. Oculus wasn't a Facebook company, and Facebook said, ooh, we'll take that, and came in with billions of dollars, bought Oculus, and then, okay, now Facebook is a virtual reality company. So they are basically doing what I think you might call a pivot in the mm-hmm. world of uh, of business. Like, okay, well, this was our main product. Now we want this to be our main product. So you know what they're trying to do is they're trying to take Facebook and move that audience into their virtual world. That's what they want to do. They want to take their existing audience. They want to right. grow it. They want to expand it. And they want to sell you, no, sell advertisements. A lot more computer. sense. Yeah, yeah, that's what they're trying to do. I have shocking numbers about Facebook's user base, by the way, that I just want to share with people shocking. before we go out to break. Yes. All right. I'm ready 2. to be shocked. 2.895 billion monthly active users. When? As of when? As of 2020. Okay. Mm-hmm. 1.9 That's a lot of people. billion people every single day. That's a lot of people. Almost 2 billion yeah. people using Facebook every single day. And imagine if they could sell virtual reality headsets to 10% of them. But see, that's what's surprising. They don't. I, 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 they don't what? I'm into video games, and I don't see any Oculus ripped advertisements or any advertisements for the metaverse on Facebook. Maybe it's coming. It probably is, but it's that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. The metaverse is coming, mm-hmm. just like the advertisements. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where you can take control of the airwaves and talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 if you would like to weigh in. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. It's Bonnie. And I like the way this living guy puts things. I'm not sure. I, I think I, I agree with them that the propaganda that we're hearing about the metaverse is very, it's very dystopian and unsettling. But I wasn't there in Soviet Russia. I'm surprised that they were saying, hey, no, this isn't communism. Communism is coming. Yeah. I'm well, surprised. it makes sense. They didn't want people to be like, this is it. You like well, it? Right. You're standing in a bread line and you're <laughs> starving to death. Uh, they're telling you, no, no, just wait. It's coming. Just believe. You must believe. True in the communism has not been tried anywhere on the country yet. That's what Sarah said. I mean, anywhere on the <laughs> planet. And I mean, that may or may not be true, but as you know, the meme says, okay, but almost communism has killed a ton of people, <laughs> whereas almost capitalism has liberated a ton of people. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to know how bad real communism could really be if almost communism is responsible for so much death. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about the metaverse here because this guy's weighing in on it, and he doesn't have a whole lot left to say, but I, I, I think it's worth hearing. There's a part of me that hates it and a part of me that fears it, but since I think it's so spectacularly stupid, there's actually not that much to fear. Hmm. <laughs> and I tend to agree with that as someone who has looked into some of these VR technologies. I almost bought an Oculus Quest a few really? months ago. Yeah, they, they had them in stock at Walmart. It was only 300 bucks. No kidding. Bucks. They're selling these things at Walmart now. Yeah. Occasionally, oh, wow. I you know I every time I go to Walmart, it's just like a ritual. I have to go through the electronics department to see <laughs> if there's anything there that I oh my god I missed this. Yeah, I mean that price point is very attractive. You got to admit, I mean, what's a PlayStation Five cost if you can even find one? Five hundred, four forty nine, or something like that. They're probably they're more expensive than the Oculus Quest for sure. Mm-hmm. The, 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 I agree with this quote because 
The more I think about the physical side of things, people getting vertigo, I would probably get vertigo from this. And I was just speaking to somebody who gets migraines. Like, I bet you could get bad headaches doing this. I just can't see this being something that takes off and people are like, this is the real world now. That's <laughs> that's sort of the issue that I think Facebook's crappy little experiment will solve. It's mm-hmm. so unrealistic that I don't think it's going to trick people's brains into causing the vertigo sensation. Mm, yeah. I, I don't know that, never having played one of these garbage games that looks like shovelware, because they are shovelware. I looked, mm. when we mentioned the Valve Index thing, I was like, I'm curious, do they have any games on there that I'd actually be interested in? Not for $1,000, no. Uh, Oculus has Resident Evil 4. I saw that, and that's their main selling point. Mm-hmm. That I that that's the big headliner. But there's for nothing else here that I recognize. I'm looking at what's considered their most popular. And Resident Evil Four is a game from like what 2003. It's actually at the bottom of the list. It's the last thing on the list of most popular games. The um, you know YouTube VR Beat Saber. Beat Saber looks like fun. I'll admit that. Oh yeah, um, I've I've heard people say that that's fun. It's yeah. like you're smashing things. They're fun. But would you buy a VR headset to play it, no. or would you just play it at a friend's house because they for, had it? Yeah, for like 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's my issue with so many of these VR yeah. games, is well, that it's a $50 game or whatever, yeah. and it's only going to entertain you for 10, 15 minutes. After that, it's a cool thing to show your buddies. That's it. Mm. It's a tech demo. A lot of these things, that's kind of how I felt about it when I tried out the Oculus. This was at uh, Derek J's, uh, one of their parties they threw. They had this thing in the corner, and people were playing it. And, you know, for that purpose, it was a cool thing, right? Like, you have this thing at a party. For people who've never tried VR, they can try it for 10 minutes or whatever, and then they go back to hanging out with people. That way, it's not totally antisocial. You know, you can watch... Like, everybody has their own virtual headset. And and you can watch the person. They had it on a monitor as Mm -hmm. well, so you could actually see what they were seeing. That's funny. It's just not in in 3D while they're... Right. right. So you can watch them do the thing they were doing, and at the same time, you watch them awkwardly, like, reach around (laughs) and look, look silly. So that's kind of a fun thing for a party to do. But it just did feel like, okay, this is a cool tech demo. This is them showing off what they can do, and some of it was pretty neat. It wasn't like, but like you said, it wasn't something that was going to hold your attention for hours at a time, uh, at at least at the point that I tried it. You worth $1,000 at the minimum. Yeah, and and, and at that time it was uh, not a self-contained unit. Now, Oculus has come out with a self-contained unit, which is the one you're talking about, the $299 one, where you don't need to have a PC to plug that into. Now, on the- Really? You don't even need a PC for that one? It's a self-contained unit, which the downside is going to be- there's only going to be so many games it can handle, right? Because yeah. you don't have a ballsy PC. You're not going to be playing the top-of-the-line releases. You're going to be playing old tech or, or lower-resolution kind of uh, gaming. But it does give you the ability to experience that that uh, you know, VR experience for less than the cost of a PlayStation 4. And, you know... Yeah, and but it's owned by Facebook. That's the real downside to it. That's the that's the number one reason why, beyond the fact that I don't spend time playing video games these days, that's the reason why I wouldn't get it. If I was looking to get a VR headset, um, I wouldn't get it because you have to have a Facebook account. You do, and if, and as I understand it, if you get suspended or banned, say bye bye. Yeah, you lose access right. to your Oculus Quest, and that well. to me sounds like a bad idea. And the and if you lose access to that, then you lose access to all the games you paid for. These aren't free games. You know, you're paying. Uh, I guess a few of them are demos, so they're free. But uh, you know, twenty five dollars for Super Hot VR. 40 bucks for Resident Evil. I mean, you're going to be paying for these things. I can't imagine paying 40 bucks for Resident Evil 4 at this point. That's almost disgusting. Yeah. And but how not, much is Facebook making on that? Half? 
I have no idea. But but is think that about an this. old game. This yeah, I guess a few years. But this is this is a decades uh, at least. This is a a way for Facebook to monetize their audience in a way that they've never done. Right? Facebook's mm, quote unquote free, and that's because you're the product. They sell you to their advertisers, and they make money off of advertisers. But now they've got an actual product. They've got hardware they can sell you. Now, of course, in video games, in the world of video games. Hardware is usually sold at a very bare minimum profit, if any profit at all. They just want to get the hardware into your home, so you start using it and get hooked on it, and start buying the software, which is where they really make their money. Yeah, so one if- of them, one of the big game consoles that released recently. I, I don't know if it was this generation or last generation, but they sold it at a loss. That way, just they, to get people in the door. Yeah, that way they could make the money off the software right. that they were selling for. And I wish I could remember which company that was. So Facebook is is basically attempting to become a video game company here, which is fine. But they're not calling themselves a video game and company. And they're trying, and that's because they're trying to increase the market and say we're more. We're more than a video. You can have a meeting. You know, <laughs> like come on in, bring all the companies. They would love to have corporations buy a bunch they of uh, you know Facebook Oculuses, give them to their employees, and say, "You don't have to come into the office. We're going to be having our meeting uh, on Facebook to, or on Meta uh, today." So you can see where they're coming from and where they see that the money is here. There's a lot of potential money, and there are millions of people who are buying these. Why things. would that be easier than a Zoom meeting or a Jitsi meeting? Well, I don't any- see how it would possibly be better than that. <sighs> I can see how it would, um, and and I'm not an advocate, you know, necessarily. I think online meetings suck in general. But if you're gonna have one, I could see the benefit of doing a room, a virtual room of people instead of a clunky mess of a video conference. I mean, anyone who's been on these video conferencing systems knows it's always a nightmare. Why Somebody's- do you think that the virtual reality? office i mean a uh, conference room wouldn't end up clunky and crappy the because reason- you're not seeing your co-worker's cat <laughs> i'm so oh my technical- god kitty i'm talking about from a technical aspect how many conferences have you been in where it's like uh, can you hear me can you hear or there's uh, yeah. their mic's not working at all <laughs> why wouldn't it be or- like that in vr somebody's gonna be not Here's doing why. their because thing it's right self-contained Here's why: because they would all be using working um, software. The the, uh, the the headsets just—it's either going to get you. You're either going to be in it and it's going to be working, or you're not going to be in it and you're not. You know, your headset's broken or something like that, right? So for the people that are in that conference, there should be very few technical issues with like an audio feed from that person's microphone. That's true, but yeah. I don't think it's going to sell. I don't think you're going to get companies to go. Okay, yes, we're going to buy. You know, ten Oculus Quest for our employees to have meetings with when they can say, "Oh no, just." Just use Zoom. Get on Zoom, yeah. Yeah. It's not like horrible Zoom. And I think Facebook or Meta, whatever you want to call them, would be doing a lot better if they were actually marketing this to gamers because they may want to... Oh, they are. Not... You mean the Metaverse. They're they're marketing the Quest, the Oculus to gamers. But they're they're the ones who are going to be interested in this Meta idea, but they can't market it to gamers because gamers are going to see this crap and go, yeah, that's terrible. 603-283-6160. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. And I want to say thank you to Jared Hofker, who is tonight's amplifier. This means that Jared is a member of the AMPS program. You can find that at AMPS, that's AMPS, freetalklive.com. If you like the show and you want to show your support, the AMPS program is the best way to do it. 
It does come with a number of cool little perks, but really the reason to join is because you like the show, you value the show, and you want to show your support. You want to help out. The Amps program is the best way to do that. Jared is a gold level amplifier, which means that Jared is giving $10 per month to the Amps program. Of course, it doesn't take that much. All it takes to get you in is 5 bucks per month. That gets you in, and then you get the podcast, the amplifier-only podcast and some other cool stuff. So you may want to check it out. That's amps.freetalklive.com. We have Alu Axelman calling from here in New Hampshire. Alu, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi, guys. Hey. So hey. yesterday was the hearing for House Bill 1189, sponsored by Julia Sodi and Warden and Yakubovich, and it was uh, essentially encouraging what does that do? the program, and, and it was encouraging the state government and municipalities to raise revenue voluntarily like the rest of us do without violence, without theft. So mm-hmm. very interesting. They had a hearing in Ways and Means, the, the tax committee, yesterday. And as it just happened, Julius Sodi, the prime sponsor, um, was sick. So he didn't come. And Warden and Nakalovich were not there. So I essentially presented the bill to the committee and I ended up speaking for like 30 minutes. And everyone wow. on the committee asked me a few questions. So they all went back and forth questioning me for like 30 minutes. So it was awesome. I was having a blast. It's the longest I've ever spoken on the stand in a committee ever. Now, this, this bill would allow municipalities in New Hampshire or any state agency to uh, accept voluntarily contributed funds, correct? Create a fund to uh, to do that specifically. Exactly. So the the bill essentially says that the state government and municipalities may accept donations and also may acknowledge that donation with some sort of acknowledgement, meaning essentially advertising, meaning if a person wants to donate some money to their local fire department or to the state government for their New Hampshire hospital, and they ask them to give them in exchange something to incentivize them to give the money, um, like a transaction, by putting a big logo or something on the side of the building or vehicle or a bus stop or something, which we already have, then, you know, that would incentivize them. So very interesting. A lot of the committee members had a lot of concerns. Um, even the good ones, Burstein is libertarian, but the rest of them had a lot of concerns, even the ones rated high on NHLA. And the the issues that they had were mostly they were worried about, you know, cronyism and, and private companies giving money to the government, which I explained. I, I thought I answered that question pretty well. I said, uh, private companies already give money via lobbying and donations and other stuff and under the table and legal and semi-legal and illegal corruption. This is literally the most open, transparent, private gov- private companies giving money to the government, and it offsets taxation. So number one, it's transparent and open. So obviously, if Google sponsors the state government's police, you will know because it will say Google on the side of their cars. But wait, wait, wait. I thought there was only the option for it to offset taxation, meaning that the municipality could choose to offset. Yeah, the way the bill is written, the bill says the money can be used to offset taxation or to fund the new project, which I think I'm okay with if I understand it. But it also says it could be used for other purposes, which which I don't like. If I would have written the bill, I I probably would have just kept it to just offset taxation, which, which I think keeps it simple. So they were wondering about that, and a few other conservatives on the committee said, well, what if Planned Parenthood uh, wants to sponsor the ambulances in my town? I wouldn't like that. And what if someone really hates it and sues, and who will who will pay for the lawsuit? And I'm like, whoa, this is... That's silly, is what it is. I mean, he, he would be unhappy that his ambulance services were being paid, paid for. for by someone else voluntarily because he didn't like the company that... Paid for yeah, it? Yeah, he seemed to be very concerned that there would be a lawsuit, and he asked who would pay. And I said, 
and he said, well, what if someone sues because he doesn't like one of the businesses that sponsors something? Or what if someone sues because their company didn't get the contract for the ad and another company did? And I said, well, whoever outbids the most, like that's how an auction or bidding works. Who, who gets the Yeah, you don't get to be sad just because you lost the bidding yeah. war. You don't get to sue yeah, someone. I, I you don't get to and sue because... Was sue. And I, I said, I don't think they would sue because we would have clear rules. Every town could set up their own rules. Some might accept the highest bidder, some might accept the first bidder. I don't know. And that's up to the town manager or the governor. But, mm. but even, even more so, right now, companies, uh, towns and the state, contracts with companies, and one company wins the contract and the others lose. Do they all sue? I don't know. Maybe Given that Planned Parenthood and- has a habit of receiving money from the state, <laughs> I highly doubt they're going to all of a sudden reverse their business model and start giving money to the state. So it seems like an unlikely scenario to begin with. But... If this bill were to actually require that the, that these monies offset the uh, the taxpayer dollars, then I could really get behind it. As of now, I'm just kind of like lukewarm towards it, like because I don't really want to see the government get more money than they already get. That doesn't. I don't think that's a good thing. Maybe we but, should all email and try to ask them to amend it. Well, I, that was, that's yep. actually that's yep. actually a good question. Is like when can the amendments come in? Do you know Alu as far as yeah, the- so it's right now. So I, I think it's in the committee, and that's why after the hearing, a few other reps came out from the hall to speak to me, and they said that you know they, if they passed it, if they were going to support it, they would want to make a few amendments, which I'm fine with. So yeah, I think generally amendments happen in the committee between the mm-hmm. initial hearing and the exact session. So they're already talking about it, and I spoke to Julius, the prime sponsor, and said to get in touch with them, and Alan Burstein, who's on ways and means wants to help with some good amendments. And I think one of the things I said to Julius when I spoke to him today was let's maybe just do an amendment to just offset taxation and keep it simple. And, yeah. and that's the thing. When I spoke to um, uh, Doucet and Ulrey, the two Republicans on the committee who came out to the hallway to, to whip my butt about this stuff and like tell me all the issues with it, um, I said, listen, if you don't like seeing Planned Parenthood on an ambulance, I get it. I might not love it either, but I would be overall happy to see my taxes go down. If, yeah, if taxes that, that were going time, down, I'd be like, all right, come on in. I don't care. Amazon, uh, Facebook, c- c- corporatize the whole thing, whatever. As long as I don't have to pay for it, uh, I'd be totally about that. That'd be great. Exactly. You- in, in the committee, one of the, the reps, one of his questions to me was, wouldn't, wouldn't you be afraid that this would uh, corporatize and commercialize all of our state government? And I'm like, yes, that's the point. Who cares? <laughs> that's the point. Fund it voluntarily. Yeah. And again, like I kept saying to him, like, even, and, and I think when Doucette was questioning me, he said, what if there's harm done to someone in the community and they sue? Who will pay for the exposure to that? And I'm like, with all due respect, I don't know how seeing a logo of a company will physically harm That's someone. what yeah. insurance uh, is for. That's that's why I mean, like police departments argument. insure their their offices. People can't sue on, for their feelings. If they put on some stupid logo that's cheap and it falls off and lands on someone's windshield and causes <laughs> a wreck, then the company that paid for that cheap logo should be sued for it. That yeah. seems yeah, again, that, that's already uh, yeah, that would be a ridiculous scenario. <laughs> I mean, it is, but I can't imagine that's how topic. else one of these logos could actually do any yeah, harm to yeah. people. Well, it, he was saying a conservative will be very offended by seeing Planned Parenthood's logo, which I understand, but it won't physically hurt them. Like, did you ask him being, to stop uh, being a snowflake? Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> these easily offended conservatives, man. Jeez. Well, well, I didn't quite say that, but I, I did use the emotional argument. I said what will hurt is my grandmother on a fixed income of a few hundred bucks a month when her taxes go up every year, and she has to choose between paying her. Uh, property taxes or her food for groceries or something like if she could save a few hundred bucks a month that will actually help her and not hurt her because her taxes are hurting her and making her starve to death i like this idea as long as it's as long as it reduces the actual taxpayer burden i think this is a great plan if it doesn't do that i gotta say 
I'm almost against it. I mean, it's, I'm I think kind in of New torn. Hampshire, there's a decent chance in most of the towns and cities that it would reduce the tax burden. Just because of the, the right people are on the town boards and yeah. that sort of thing. But not in a city like Keene. No, Keene would not. In hmm. Keene or Nashua or Portsmouth, they'd be... These people are monsters. They'd be all about the extra revenue. and Unless and I, the bill tells them they have to reduce taxes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so that's that's the one key change. But the fact that this is even being talked about, I think, is, uh, is important. And yeah, and the good news is it's already happening, right? So, so I, I passed by another bus stop in Manchester, which I assume the city of Manchester government owns, and there were ads all over the bus stop. There sure. were, you know, ads, buses, bus stops, and police cars. So they're already doing it. So what I was going to ask pre-talk live, if you guys have an advertising budget, you guys, just to prove a point <laughs> that it's already happening, should buy some local ads in Keene and say, hey, Keene Fire Department, I'll give you such and such amount of dollars for a sign that says free talk live, freetalklive.com, lrn.fm a bunch of ads and you just give money to the fire no. department, tell them to offset taxes with it. And everyone's happy. They're happy. You're happy. And taxpayers are a little happier too. So I, I think we should do this. And I might do this with Liberty Block. I might go to my fire department tomorrow and say, how much would it cost for a small plaque saying libertyblock.com on the side of your ambulances? And if it's under a few hundred bucks a month, I might go ahead and do that. You don't want a plaque. Just you want to do the, 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 uh, the wrap. You oh, absolutely. Wrap. Yeah, you want to wrap it. it. It's an interesting idea, but correct me if I'm wrong. This legislation is needed because the fire department can't simply accept your money and put your plaque up right now. I think can they, they can. They can. I believe they can. I believe they can. The, the Manchester police, I've seen it. I've seen plaques on the side of Manchester police vehicles saying sponsored by St. Mary's Credit Union. Yeah, and I've seen okay. city council meetings where in Keene they will say such and such a person has died and their estate is leaving the city of Keene $100,000, which is insane, but this does happen from time to time. Like the and the entire Robin Hood Park here in Keene was donated after somebody died from their estate. And uh, shall we accept this? Then they have to vote to accept it, and that's it. So I'm not really sure what this does differently uh, besides basically encourages this or authorizes it, makes it clear. Uh, but Alu, thanks for uh, for calling about it, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. I would rather taxes be voluntary. Uh, that way I can volunteer to not give the government money. I and love that. them not hold, you know, me prisoner for that. Yeah. You can join us. We're out of time in the meantime on our chat server at chat.freetalklive.com.